Hello everybody, hope you are doing well. It is my pleasure and privilege to bring to you the Word of God once again this weekend. My name is John, one of the pastors here at SIBKL, in case you don't know who I am. If you're tuning in for the first time, if you are very new to our church or not so familiar, just want to give you a warm welcome and greeting and hope that you are well wherever you are tuning from. We are still in our Zechariah series and today we have landed on Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah is a book in the Old Testament and I've titled my sermon today, you have probably seen it earlier, uh, these three things. Pseudo-religion, genuine expression and God shushing. And let me dive straight into scripture to tell you how I came up with this title. If you have your Bibles, could you turn with me to Zechariah chapter 7. It's going to be on the screen, but I encourage you if you have a Bible with you, uh, just to flip to it and to read along with me. Zechariah chapter 7. And this is what it says. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sherazah and Regum Melech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for many years? Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months of the past 70 years, was it really for me that you have fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets where Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor, in your hearts do not think evil of each other. But they refuse to pay attention. Stubbornly they turn their backs and stop up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words from the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. Verse 13, we're almost there. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers. The land was so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now, have you ever been in a situation where maybe a old friend uh, or someone that you have not heard from a long time suddenly contacts you out of the blue and asks you out to catch up? Now, usually that's a pleasant surprise, isn't it? You go, wow, it's such, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. You've not seen this person in a while. It will be a wonderful time, you're thinking. So you go to this outing um, and there, you know, you, you have a great meal together. 
you have good times reminiscing, catching up on each other's families or achievements and all that. And whatever that you have lost uh, time from or with. And as you approach the end of the meal, you're thinking, man, this is such a nice outing. I'm so happy that this person called me out. And suddenly this person whips out a folder or a file and they tell you, hey, by the way, can I interest you in? And then you go, oh, I know what this person is about. They want to sell me something. That actually happened to me a few months ago, I think, uh, um, or it was probably last year, actually, where a high school friend of mine whom uh, I don't keep in touch with that much suddenly asked me out. But I, so I thought, wow, so nice, we're going to catch up. But actually, the person wanted to sell me insurance. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not bagging any insurance agents out. I'm not... Um, I'm not saying that you guys are, are bad or anything like that because I know all of us need to chari makan, right? But in that situation, I was thinking to myself, did you call me out for me or was it for you? Did we have this meal for me because you were genuinely interested in me or did you have your own agenda? And this is kind of like the tone that Zechariah chapter 7 takes. So what's happening in Zechariah chapter 7 is it's been about two years since Zechariah first received his first visions that, we, that, that he notes down in the earlier six chapters. And at this point of time, most of the exiles from Babylon were already returning and resettling in Jerusalem. And the rebuilding of the temple, as noted in the book of Haggai, is well underway. In fact, they are about two years before it actually is completed. And in this chapter, we see there are two men, Sherazah and Regem Melech. They have Babylonian names, but they are most likely Jews, probably one of the exiles returning. They come to Jerusalem from this town called Bethel, also known as Luz. Now, Bethel is the place where Jacob's ladder occurs. And that's in Genesis 28, 10 to 22. You can look it up if you're interested. And Bethel is not too far away from Jerusalem, probably about 10 kilometers. So they would probably have walked half a day or so to get there. But they came with an intention. They were asking, they wanted to ask the priests and the prophets this question. Now, why do I say they were Jewish? Because they were inquiring about the fast they had to keep. So they asked, they're asking, should they keep the fast on the fifth month that they have been doing all these years? Now, the this fast actually commemorates the destruction of the temple. And you can see that in 2 Kings 25 verse 8 to 10. Now this is a very reasonable question because they had already come back from exile and the temple was just about to be completed, uh, completely rebuilt. So they're thinking, should we still keep carry on, carrying on this fast? But the reply of the Lord came this way. And which leads me to my first point, pseudo-religion. What does pseudo-religion mean? Fake religion or fake spirituality, right? Something that appears to be genuine, but it is not. Kind of like that friend that calls you out uh, because you think they're interested in you, but actually they have a MLM scheme or they just want to sell you something. So pseudo-religion, my first point from scripture is this, looks like this. 
ritual without revelation or man-made rules. Now the Lord's reply came addressing two fasts, even though one was only one was brought up. The Lord addressed two fasts that the people were keeping, one on the fifth month and one on the seventh month. The one in the seventh month actually represents or commemorates the assassination of the Jewish governor Gedaliah appointed by Babylonian officials. You can see that in 2 Kings 25 verse 22, 26 and Jeremiah 41 verse 2 and 3. It was because of the assassination of that prophet that Israel was plunged into even more turmoil. Now, it's interesting because if you look through the Old Testament, especially the law, the Torah, the only, the only fast that is compulsory or instituted by God is the fast on the Day of Atonement. And you can look at that in Leviticus 23, verse 27. So in essence, what these people were doing is that they were going on fast that the Lord Himself had not instituted man-made rules. Now, in church life, in our spiritual walk, there are many things that we can just do as a ritual, but not actually have revelation. Where it's just rules that we thought, of, thought up of, where we can be so now concerned about keeping man-made rules or even man-made traditions and not actually following the law of God. There are many rules like that in church these days, right? Some of them spoken, some of them unspoken. What you can wear, what you cannot wear, how you should be, how you should not be. All these different things. I won't go into it. But my second point on pseudo-religion is this. Activity without sincerity. And that is motives that are not right. You see, God asked them, was this fast really for me, says the Lord. Because it implies that the Israelites, when they instituted these two fasts, and there's nothing wrong with going on a fast or going on a, uh, having a posture of wanting to seek God more, but it could be almost said that the Israelites were having these fasts not because of genuine repentance or genuine remorse of them being wicked or not following God's ways. That's why they actually were sent into exile because they were disobeying God again and again. So they were feeling sorry for themselves, but not genuinely repentant. You know, a lot of times when we fall into sin or when we fail, what we can do is we can feel sorry for ourselves, but not genuinely feel repentant. Let me give you an example. Um, if I were to make fun of you, Right? If I were to say, you know, hey, your hair's funny or, you know, your, your, your nose is too big or whatever it is, I make fun of you, right? And you get angry at me, I could, always, I could just go, oh, I'm gosh, I'm so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, right? So I'm not actually sorry that um, I hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm not actually sorry for what I did. I'm just sorry that you were hurt. But if I did something genuinely really, really bad, like for example, maybe I borrowed your car and I smashed it up and I'm, I'm, I'm ridden with guilt now and I come to you and go, my goodness, I am so sorry. I'm sorry I ruined your car. That's big, big difference there, right? 
And it's almost like this is what the Israelites were doing. They were just sorry for the sake of being sorry, but not genuinely repentant. And how do we know? Or how can we have a glimpse that perhaps their, this, their motives were not right? Because they ask, should we continue fasting? Do we need to do it now that we are back here from exile and the temple's almost completed? And God actually asked them back, not just when you fasted, was it for me? He even asked them, when you eat and you drink, is it for me? This reflects Deuteronomy 8 verse 10, where Israel has commanded, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. It echoes 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where it says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So let me tell you something. Fasting and feasting, both of them can be spiritual. There is a time where fasting is required and is necessary to seek God. But when we eat and when we drink normally, when we feast, that's not unspiritual. But what will make it unspiritual is when we are not grateful and we don't give thanks. That's why the Bible says you can eat, do whatever you want, but make sure whatever you are doing glorifies God. Colossians 3.17 further nails that. says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All that we do, does it glorify God? Even our service to Him. When we serve God, are we serving God because of God? Because of our love for Him? Because of our love for His house? Because of our desire to glorify Him? Or is it because of our own selfish motives? You know, the platform is not a cure for anybody's insecurity. Many people want to seek the platform, they want to seek the position in church because they have a need or a void in their life that they are avoiding. My friends, when we serve God, it is not about us, but it's about Him. When Jesus came, Jesus Himself said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. He was called the Servant King. His posture his motive was to serve. And when we, we have to ask ourselves that when we fast, when we pray, when we read the Bible, when we do all these spiritual things, are we doing it for show or are we doing it because we want to draw near to God? The third thing that pseudo-religion can come about or can suggest fake spirituality is this routine without reason or motions, just going through the motions. And where did I get that? When, when Sherazad and Regamelech asked, should we continue fasting as we have done so all these years? There, it could be argued that there was a little bit of a tired tone to their question, where they've been just doing it over and over and over again. You know, in Christian life, in a Christian journey, we can do things just for the sake of. We can tithe just for the sake of. We can attend online service just for the sake of. We can go to small group or cell group meetings just because. 
we can read our Bible just because just going through the motions but without actually being in the moment. That's what I, 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 I call it, right? We shouldn't just go through the motions. We should own the moments. We should be so present in every moment and just be so conscious of what God wants to say to you and I. And I, and I see that even with family. You know, family, the people closest to us are often the ones that we, we neglect the most or the ones that we kind of like don't pay much attention to. And if I go through family life now that we are in kind of like a quarantine, still a somewhat quarantine season, we're spending a lot of time at home, what I could do is I could just go through the motions with my family. I could just, you know, wake up, it's just there, my, my daughter's just there, my wife is just there. But I try to make it a point that every moment I get to spend with them, I want to make it a meaningful moment. I want to teach my daughter. I want to guide her. I want to see her grow. I want to connect with my wife as much as possible. And in the same way, when we do things for God, when we do the spiritual things, are we just going through the motions? Or do we have a genuine desire? God, speak to me. When we tune into an online service like this, doing worship, are we connected? Do we say, God, speak to me. When we listen to the sermon, are we just going to leave it on and go and do other things, right? Watching Netflix on our phone, playing Among Us on our iPad. I don't know what, what you're doing, right? Scrolling through Instagram. Or are we going to lean in and say, God, I want you to speak to me because your word is better than life. Men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need both devotion and discipline, not one or the other. Some of us are so disciplined in exercising spiritual routines, but then we lack that devotion. Some of us are great. We have a lot of emotion, a lot of devotion, but we also need to have discipline. We need to seek the Lord while He can still be found. We need both and not just going through the motions. Now, this then goes to the second part of the scripture, the middle portion, where the Lord says, this is what is required of you. Administer true justice. Don't oppress the poor or the fatherless or the widow and do not plot evil against one another. What is that? That is genuine expression. Genuine expression of our faith. And this is also commanded in uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 23, verse 15 to 16, chapter 24 and 14 and Leviticus 19. It is a recurring theme in the Old Testament where Israel is required to take care of the least in their society. Why? Because God knows that actually Israel are really good at keeping rules. Not just Israel, human beings. We are really good at keeping up appearances. Where do I get this from or how do I know this? The Pharisees. Think about it in the New Testament. The Pharisees, they are the ones who were the most religious, they knew the most about the Torah and they were actually the most outwardly spiritual or rule-keepingly sound. But yet their hearts were devoid, their hearts were empty. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23 verse 27 and 28. Whitewashed tombs, why? Because they look good on the outside, but they are dead on the inside. So this is essentially what God is saying it's not just about being spiritual or being churchy, it's also living out or walking out 
your faith in the practicals. And James echoes that. James chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. There's a point there to ponder, right? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So genuine expression is an inner conviction, but an outward expression. It's not one or the other. It's not just doing good deeds for the sake of doing good deeds. And it's not just believing on the inside, but it's living it out. And how we can live this out is by doing these things, charitable works, keeping a tight rein on our tongue, not just mouthing out every loose word, not just saying anything that we like. James 2 also talks about faith without deeds being worthless, right? It says that even the demons believe there's one God and they shudder. So faith alone is not enough. We need to have both faith and good deeds. Faith and good deeds. How we treat the least of us speaks of what is really in us. I'm thinking about as Christians, how do we treat even foreign workers in our midst? Whether they're in the restaurants, whether in the supermarkets, or whether they're in our own homes. Let me tell you of an incident that happened a couple of days ago. I, I brought my little girl down to uh, the common area in our condo. So, you know, kids were just running about and they were playing. So there was this little boy, he was probably about five or six, and he was with his uh, helper. Right? I believe she was from the Philippines. And the way the boy spoke to the helper really, really, if I'll be honest, annoyed me. It actually made me angry because he was yelling at her and he was rude to her. Now, I wish, I actually wanted to do this. I wanted to go up to him and tell him, hey, come here, buddy. You know, Kaka over there, she came from a far away place to help your family and you. Can you be nicer to her? I was actually going to do it already, but I, I missed the opportunity. But I'm thinking if I ever see that boy and you know that lady again, I'm going to do it if he speaks out against her as well. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, some of us have the privilege of hiring domestic helpers. How do we treat them? That is the ex true test or expression of our faith. Coming to church, praying, all that, yes, that's part of it, but also how we treat the least among us. Let's educate our children. Let's teach. And this time, Christmas time is coming, right? Christmas, we can't celebrate like we would have before. We can't have big events, big parties. Why not we take this opportunity to find someone, a family that we can bless? And Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus assures us this. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Of course, the context of this passage is, um, Jesus says, you know, when I didn't have clothes, you clothed me. When I didn't have food, you fed me. And at the end days, people will ask, when did we ever clothe you, Lord? When did we ever feed you? And his reply will come in verse 40 where we care for the least 
that is among us, we are actually walking through, walking out or working out true spirituality and true faith. And it doesn't mean we must now go and uh, go out of our way to, to, to participate in some big campaign or anything like that. Now, if the Lord leads you to do that, please go ahead. But we, there are many, even in our midst, that we can look out for and that we can bless. Single moms, why don't you take the opportunity to bless some single moms that you know of, buy Christmas presents for them and their family. Do these things because when you do it to them, you're doing it unto God. And after this passage, God actually ends, uh, Zechariah 7 ends with a warning from God, which leads me to my final point, God shushing. God shushing. And how does that come about? The first point is the lack of submission. Because in Zechariah 7, it is mentioned that they refuse, the people refuse to pay attention. In fact, they turn their backs and covered their ears or shut their ears. It's like they turn, it's like, they, it's like, it's like someone is coming to talk to you, okay? Have, do you have children who are like that? They'll come and talk to you, they turn their backs and they cover their ears and say, nah, nah, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. That's what God is literally saying about how some of us are like, that He is speaking, but we are not listening. Some of us say, I can't hear God, but it's not a matter of whether God is speaking, it's a matter of whether we are actually listening. Let's not be dull in our spirit or numb in our hearts. Let's continue to be open to the correction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, people say that our conscience is our guide. Do things that only feels right. The trouble with that is that sometimes we can numb even our own conscience. We can tell ourselves something, we can convince ourselves something is okay even when it is not. The only way we will know is whether it is confirmed or backed up or supported or validated by the Word of God. James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and to deceive yourselves. Do what it says. As Christians, let's not be obsessed with the concealed. Let's just be focused on obeying the revealed. I'm not saying knowledge is not good. I'm not saying we should not get deeper in our theology. But sometimes we don't need deeper theology. We just need greater obedience. We just need to obey what the Word of God says. Even in this season of COVID-19, let's not be numb. Let's not be dull. As Pastor Chu says, if this is an alarm clock or an alarm bell, let's wake up. Let's be conscious of what the Holy Spirit is even saying. God, let's not resort to God having to use a megaphone, even though I think COVID-19 is already big enough, a shout. Let's lean in and tune in and say, God, what is it that you want to do in us? God, what is it that you are speaking to us and we will submit, we will surrender to you. Not only was there a lack of submission, but there was lots of stiffening. Verse 12, God says this, that they made their hearts as hard as flint, or some version says as hard as stone. Your scripture warns us a lot about hardening our hearts. 
Hebrews 3 verse 8 says this, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. In fact, Psalm 51 verse 17 counteracts that by saying that the sacrifice you desire, O Lord, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart. A lot of times, what happens is not only do we have lack of submission, but we even stiffen our hearts. We harden our hearts to what God is saying. We can start treating God as familiar. We can start saying, ah, you know, the pastor's nagging me again. Ah, my cell leader's nagging me again. Ah, I don't like this scripture that I'm reading. You know, it doesn't apply to me. Ah, I'll repent later. I'll obey later. I'll do it later. And we keep putting it off and we harden our hearts to the law, to the word of God, and to even people that God sends to us to speak to us. And hardening our hearts is so dangerous. It's so scary, my friends. You would remember or you would know of the story of Pharaoh when Moses is sent by God to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Now, a lot of people read Romans 9 and a lot of people, you know, they theorize that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it is true, God did harden Pharaoh's heart. But a, more, a, a better statement or a more accurate one is this God further hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was Pharaoh that first hardened his own heart. Where did I get this from? Exodus 5 verses 2 and 3. Because how did Pharaoh respond to Moses? Pharaoh said this, Who is this God that I should obey him? I will in fact not obey him. And if you read on in Exodus 5, he further goes on to double, triple the workload and the oppression on the people of Israel. Now, I don't need to tell you that it doesn't actually end well with Pharaoh. Hint, Red Sea, army drowned, all that kind of thing. And here's, here's a warning, a precaution for all of us. Let's not harden our hearts. Let's not harden our hearts. Let's not grow numb to God and let's not harden our hearts. You know, a young person came to me a few months ago and told me that, you know, he told me, Pastor, I'm, I'm done with this God thing. I want to go and explore the world. Now, I know all the truth about God. I know this, I know that, blah, 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 blah. But I don't want, I just want to go do my own thing. And I can tell you that this actually troubles me. I've seen many people walk away from God and I've seen many people not just walk away from God but go bitter or go, go cynical towards God. And let me tell you, that is the very dangerous path to be treading on. Why? Leads me to this lots of lack of submission, lots of stiffening leads to God shushing. Verse 13, God Himself declares, when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I will not listen now. And that is so scary. God promises that when we draw near to Him, He will also draw near to us. But ultimately, if we tell God, no thank you, I'm going to do things my own way, I'm going to go my own path, you know what God will say? God will say, 
go ahead. God will say, please go ahead. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of, um, of what happened uh, last week. Last week was a very challenging period in my parenting career, my parenting life. Because um, my daughter, I think she hit the, what I hope was the peak of a terrible twos. So she was just being extremely difficult. She was whining and everything. She was crying over everything. And during mealtime, she refused to sit in her, her baby chair, her high chair. She wanted to sit, sit in either mommy or daddy's lap. And she wanted to be spoon-fed herself, right? So we tolerated for a day or two, but then my wife and I decided, more like my wife actually, she decided, you know what? We can't put up with this behavior anymore. This is going to kill us. So we started becoming very hard on her. You know, she, we, we forced her to sit on a baby chair and we even made her feed herself. And she refused, obviously. You know, she sat in the chair, she was crying, she was wailing and she was screaming and all that. But man, it was a battle of wits and battle of wills. So uh, my wife's very strong. I was almost like, okay, let's just give in. My wife's like, no, let's not give in. So my, 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 my daughter was crying and crying and crying. She was crying out, but mommy and daddy will not listen. We will not because we know that she was trying to have her own way, but we wanted her to know that, hey, you are not the boss in this house. We are the parents, you submit to us. And there are times where God has to let us know you cannot have your own way. You need to submit to God. When we are disobedient, willfully disobedient to God, it may actually cause God to turn away from us. Hebrews 10 verse 26 to 27 says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I want to be known as a friend of God, not an enemy of God. And to be a friend of God is simply this, just to obey Him. 1 John, or John chapter 14, verse 15 rather, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will do as I say. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And his commandments are not a heavy burden. His commandments are not to stifle us or to oppress us. No, it is to lift us up and to lead us to true life. I pray that we will heed this warning. That we will not live out a pseudo-religion, pretending to be spiritual or acting like we are faith-filled, but actually we are empty inside. I pray that we will walk in genuine expression of this faith and that we will not live in a way that would eventually shush out God. In closing, I want us to rededicate ourselves to Him by singing this song here again. I chose this song because this song sings about how ultimately we are not enough unless He comes and He helps us. Why don't we all rise in this place wherever you are. If you've been sitting down or if you are just lying down, why don't you get into yourself into a posture where we can worship and just spend the next three minutes or so connecting with God through this song. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, church family, 
friends, I want to encourage you that God is ultimately a God of grace. God accepts us as we are, but He does not want to leave us the same. Now, if you are, if you've been tuning into our online services or if you've been catching a lot of Christian content online, but you have never actually made a decision to accept Jesus into your heart, into your life, can I invite you to do so this morning? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And for those of you, if you have been living, if you have just been going through the motions, or if you have been, if you've been living out this Christian life, you've been serving God not with the right motives, can I encourage you, can I urge you to come back to God today? Because the Bible does tell us to examine ourselves. There's nothing wrong with examining ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says that. It's not a, a practice to condemn ourselves, but just to ensure that we can come before God with a clean conscience. Because the Bible does say, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I would desire that for you and I, that we will always see God in all that we do. And if you feel like you have actually hardened your heart towards God, this is also an opportunity to come and to just say, God, would you soften my heart? It's not just about our own effort. I know maybe you went through a big disappointment or maybe you've been hurt badly, which caused you to be this way. But this morning, can you submit yourself and commit yourself to God? Right now, you will see this link on the screen. I want you to go to this link. There'll be people who can pray with you and for you. If you have received Jesus for the first time or you want to, go to this link. If you want to respond to this message, go to this link as well. But for the rest of us, let me just pray and then we'll close. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word that is powerful. Your word that comforts but also challenges. Father, I pray for every single person watching who is a believer who, call them, who calls themselves a follower. Even for myself, Lord, may I never, may we never fall into the trap of pseudo-religion or fake spirituality. Lord, may we always be conscious of the people around us. May we always have generosity overflowing, out, full of genuine expression of love and generosity and grace to those around us. And Lord, may we never harden our hearts. And for those who have, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, please have mercy and please soften those hearts that we can come back and turn back to you. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for this weekend. We give you back all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' most precious name we say, Amen. 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 Church family, we love you. We miss you. Hopefully, we can see each other soon again. But stay on for a little while more because I'm closing announcements. But otherwise, that's all from me. God bless you. See you again. Take care. Lots of prayer and love to you and your families. God bless. Bye-bye.